this is a story so take it in its stride a story is told of a a small family that migrated to uh, vatican city uh, vatican city is known to be a city just for men so all the clergy lived there and the pope and all of them so a small family migrated there and after a few years they uh, almost became a small community and then they began to grow to kind of overpopulate that place so the clergy in that place got together and they decided that unless we kick them out of this place at some point they might become a threat to us so they got together they went to the pope and they said uh, this is the issue we want you to do something about this so the pope uh, asked them to come back after a day or two and then they went back and then the pope said okay i have a thing we are going to call all the elders of this community and we are going to ask them to select one person from that community and i shall give them a test if the person fails to pass through the test uh, they will be asked to vacate this place so the day came auspicious day and then the elders of the community came together and then this was what was told to them by the pope and the clergy they agreed because they came there as immigrants so they agreed to do so so they went back uh, had a council and then they had a meeting and finally they decided that they will send a one a young man uh, to take this test so on a particular day when the pope announced that the test would be conducted all of them gathered in a large theater uh, the pope and the clergy uh, sitting on one side and the elders and some of the representatives of their team sitting on the other side with the pope in the middle and the young man in the center so the pope decided to give him three questions and all in sign language and that was a surprise so the pope looked at this man and gave him the first question obviously it's a sign question so for the pope uh, lifted up his index finger pointed to the heavens and kind of spinned his hand in the air for a few seconds and put it down this young man thought for a while and then with great composure he put his finger downwards towards the earth he spinned his finger a hand a few times and he remained calm the pope said right answer so there was cheering and everything was going on in the other side so the clergy were a little upset they were looking forward to the second question so the pope lifted his hand again and opened his fist to show three fingers one after the other simultaneously one two and three the young boy thought for a while and the leaders of the other team were quite tensed and he thought for a while and he just showed one finger and to their surprise pope said it was right answer again they were cheering this is once one mark away or one step away from victory the clergy were furious they were looking at the pope and the pope finally uh, you know clapped and then the final question was when the pope clapped uh, they brought a table and then when they uh, removed the uh, thing from the table the blanket from the table it was basically a table that had a bread and then a jar of wine this was the toughest of all the three questions that this guy faced he didn't know what the answer was he looked at the elders his time was running out he didn't know what to do kind of biting his fingers unknown to him who put his hands in his pocket it almost felt like his face lit up 
and then he pulled out an apple and he showed the apple to the pope and pope with great disappointment said right answer and the celebrations began so the story was over there and two parties left home clergy were very furious disappointed unhappy probably not thinking of getting a new pope they were very unhappy while the on the other side there were celebrations going on so the clergy got together they went to the pope and they stormed into his room and they were like what is this what did you do and first of all what were those questions this pope said i can't believe that this uneducated young person had so much of theology in his head so the pope said that they asked him so what was the question the first question was this i pointed up to the heavens pointing my finger to god and i you know spin my hand in the air saying god is transcendent he is above all creation but that young man replied with great brilliance by saying yes he is transcendent but he is also imminent that means he can relate with his creation second question the pope said i again talked about god saying god is a triune person father son and the holy spirit and again with brilliance that man said yes but he is one and not three so the clergy kind of settled down and then the pope said the third question i thought was the toughest of the quiz of all the questions that i asked so the third question was the question where i said where i brought bread and wine resembling or a token or something that represents the death and the burial and the resurrection of christ pointing to the bread and the wine and that man though thought for a while replied by saying i agree because we have sinned showing the apple you know a kind of a representation of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil he agreed by saying yes we are here in the state because of the sin that we have committed so the clergy somehow went back home they were disappointed satisfied with the, the questions the pope asked while on the other side the story continued they were so surprised thrilled enthralled didn't expect this guy to come out with flying colors so they asked him you never went to school none of us went to school who would have answered those questions how did you answer what were those questions he said i don't know the pope said all of you came from a far away country get out there i was furious I was born and brought up here i said we are all here and we are all going to be here only he said wow what an answer what an answer bravo what an answer and then the, what is the second question the pope said i'm giving you 3 days and i replied not a day we are not going to leave this place even for a day and they again cheered and clapped and the third question said i don't know why the pope had to do that i thought he was insulting us he brought a table and he showed us what they eat and i just showed him what we eat <laughs> whoever uh, made up this story had a lot of time on hand so some of us christians are little like this we think somehow god has some things to say but somehow he doesn't communicate to us in clarity 
And one of the aspects that most Christians do not have clarity about is about suffering, is about trials, is about how a Christian life is. And therefore somehow we think, okay, God has a set of things to say. I may not understand them clearly, but somehow if I am able to live this life and somehow move on with whatever understanding that I have, somehow I think uh, I can finish my race well. The Bible leaves no, no ambiguity in the scriptures about how a Christian life will be. And in my understanding, I've been saved in, I was, I came to know the Lord in 2011. In these eight years, and I've been in ministry for 12 years, and in these 12 years of my ministry, and eight years of my understanding of the Lord, I met more Christians. Uh, I'm not saying that is a, a measure for uh, validating the entire Christendom, but I'm saying I met more Christians, because I've been to a lot of churches, I met more Christians who really have a very inadequate understanding of suffering, an inadequate understanding of trials and tribulations and persecution. And any time, if the church is not well fed, if the church doesn't have an adequate understanding of two aspects of life, pleasure and pain, we can go to one extreme. Whenever the church misses the balance, that's why in the book of Ecclesiastes we are told that a wise man avoids all extremes. And the Bible teaches with clarity about how a Christian life should be and how you and I ought to respond. So this morning I want you to turn uh, your Bibles. Uh, I want us to turn, if you have your Bible, otherwise it will be flashed on the screen anyways. We are going to turn to the letter written by Pastor James. Chapter 1. He was a pastor. In fact, he was the authentic pastor who remained in Jerusalem. Everybody else was a missionary, an evangelist. In some way or the other, they had to move out. But one man who was called as the pillar of the, of the, of the four of the pillars of the church, one of who is Apostle James who remained in Jerusalem taking care of the church. And this was a letter written by this pastor, a senior pastor, to the twelve Tribes that are scattered. In fact, if you look at James chapter 1, I didn't give the verse. Chapter 1 verse 1, Paul, James says, James, a servant of God or a bond slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to, the address is to the 12 tribes scattered. So, probably this letter was written during the time or rather after the persecution or rather after the death of Stephen, Acts chapter 8 verse 1, where the Bible says a great persecution arose in that area and except the apostles, all the disciples went out of that place. That's called diaspora or rather, in other words, dispersion. So probably after this incident, this letter could have been well written by James. I want us to turn to verse 3 and we will work our way this morning to till verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. For our benefit, I want all of us to read this together. Count it all joy, my brothers. You can go ahead, read it with me. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. First, we shall pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let your kingdom come, uh, let your will be done on earth, right now as it is in heaven. Give us this day, Father, our daily bread. Give us this day. We want our daily bread today. We pray that you will feed us. Lord, just like the uh, external man needs food, air, clothing, shelter, recreation, relationships, the inner man needs to, O oh Lord. And we recognize our need. We are desperate. We are really desperate. I am for one. I wish I was in the audience this morning. But I trust you, Sovereign Lord, Holy God, I trust you. This morning I pray that you, O oh Lord, by the ministry of your spirit, that you will speak to us. We want clarity. We want clarity of understanding of what your plan is for every child of yours. We pray that you will speak to us in clarity. We also want, O oh Lord, your word to be personal to us this morning as we look to your scripture. We want your word to come from you and therefore we pray for authority and we pray that there shall be purity also as your word comes to us please lord god lord we hear so much of your word and sometimes there can be a great possibility of us receiving it with a casual attitude or receiving it O oh lord without faith i pray that you will please help us break through this morning and i pray that we will receive the word in humility and in faith O oh lord Restore, O Lord, our soul. And I pray that you will conform us to the image of your son. Even as your word comes like a detergent that washes away all the dirt from our clothes. I pray that your word through your power, Holy Spirit, will wash away every dirt. And I pray that in the inner man, in our mind, in our soul, in our spirit, we shall be, O Lord, be transformed and be set free, as we heard this morning, to be a set of people who worship you in joy and in trembling. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, before we even get into uh, understanding the scripture, these uh, f- three verses, chap- verse 3, verse 4 and verse 5, I just want to give you a small mm, disclaimer that today I will not be preaching, I will be teaching. What is the difference? Uh, minor one being a spelling difference. The major one is preaching uh, is a Greek word, keruso, which means a herald who goes with a scroll from the emperor to a hilltop or an elevated position to simply open the scroll and in a loud voice make an announcement about what the king wants him to make. It can be an announcement of good news or a warning or a declaration of war or a war that is coming to them. So preaching is basically opening the scroll and announcing the message that God has for his children. What is teaching? That actually is another Greek word, didasko, which means it is intended to open the text and explain with all its meaning, with its grammar, with its nuances and helping the crowd or the pupil get to the destination God wants them to, both intellectually and emotionally. So this morning, you will not hear me preach, but you will hear me teach, which means you have to put your thinking caps on and you have to work Walk and work with me along through these three verses. We are going to hear a little bit of Greek today. We are going to see a little bit of, um, you know, grammar and all of that. And I want us to know that God wants us to be also 
taught. And uh, this morning, as we look at these three verses, I want to uh, give you the title of the sermon. What we are going to listen to this morning is the title that I have given, Testing of Your Faith. Testing of Your Faith. Now, before we get into these three verses, let me just place before you the purpose of uh, the letter written by James. Why did James, the only uh, letter that was written, unlike Paul's letters or Peter's letters or John's letters, why did James write this letter? Now, in some of the books in the Bible, the purpose statements are very, very clear. You just have to read through the book and you will find the purpose statement. For example, if you read the Gospel of John, the purpose statement is very evident in John chapter 20, verse 31. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and by believing, you may have eternal life or salvation in His name. Not every book will have uh, a clear purpose statement like that in the beginning or at the end. But if you have to read through the letter of James multiple times, you will very clearly understand, and I say this uh, also with the support of uh, many other theologians and good expositors of God's word, that James has written this letter exclusively to believers, and particularly the original audience, the primary audience were the audience who are scattered you know, after the persecution. He wrote to them, To show them how a believer should live his life. This is not an evangelistic uh, letter. This doesn't include words like cross, crucifixion, dying to your old nature. You don't see such theological terms occurring here in this epistle like it occurs in Paul's letters. This This is a letter written to a believer... And more so to a growing believer to help them understand, to see what is the track that God has set for every believer to live. Now, why is it important for us to know the purpose of the book? If you don't know the purpose of the book, you can come out with amazing revelations and never understand what the author actually intended. So the idea of interpretation is to help every reader understand what was the intention of the author. Him, the spirit of God, while he used the human pen called James. So, when we understand the purpose of the book, you and I are driven by the spirit in that one particular understanding to get the major context on the content of the book. And this letter was written to believers, to rather growing believers, to help them understand there is one particular track laid out. Now, sometimes people can kind of contradict take this epistle and kind of put it against Paul's epistles, especially like the letter to Romans. And they say there are contradictions. While Paul talks about something, James is talking about something else. But actually, if you read through this carefully, clearly, you will understand that both of them are talking about two sides of the same coin. Let me just read to you what Dr. John MacArthur said. I couldn't have put it better, so I'm just borrowing his words. He said... The epistle to Romans answers the question of how a person can be saved. The epistle by James answers the question how a saved person must live. So, one complements the other. And if you are a believer here, this is the track God has for you. And God wants you to walk in this track. And James also, the style of his writing is unlike Paul's. 
Paul, when you read, Paul is a master teacher. He's thinking. He's a student and a teacher at the same time. So if you read Paul's writings, he takes one issue. He looks at it like a, 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 a jeweler. Would look at a diamond. He would take different angles to it. From different dimensions, he looks at the same object and he answers every single question that can come in the minds of the readers and also the critics. But James is not like that. He's very straightforward. And therefore, one of the reasons you will find it difficult to understand the purpose of the book is because he you don't know when he's moving from one topic to another topic. He just blasts and moves on. He's like a dynamite. He doesn't care how your response will be. Because this is expected. And therefore, the book of James is considered to be the one book which has got the most number of imperatives or commands. How many verses are there in this entire epistle? 108. You know how many commands are there in this entire epistle? 54. Which means one command in every two verses. And right where we are beginning, verse 3, begins with a command. Count it all joy my Brothers, so this book is filled with commands, filled with commands that pushes us to reason. I understood in my uh, little knowledge of ministry, I understood that most, most believers have burning hearts for God, but empty heads. And they don't go very far in their walk with the Lord. And James commands us to begin by thinking. My friends, this morning I want you to look at these three verses and take five truths that are so clearly mentioned there. In fact, if we can just sit, all of us sit and even discuss, we will come to the understanding. You don't even need a teacher to teach. It is so self-explanatory. I will just be an instrument in the Lord's hands this morning. Let's look at verse 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. This is the opening statement after a brief, brief greeting. And he says, count it all joy, my brothers. If he just said something else, it would have been better. Count it all joy, my brothers. Jesus is coming back. Everybody would have said, hallelujah. Pack bags, sell your properties and just prepare for the second coming. But then this is a kind of a paradox. Count it all joy, my brothers. When you face various trials. What James is trying to tell us is this. Put your hand on the burner and smile. It doesn't work that way. But you will see in these three verses the divine reasoning behind suffering for a Christian. The divine rationale that is presented in the scriptures for every believer. Let's look at these five truths. Number one, number one, the reckoning in trials. The reckoning in trials. Look at that word, count it. It's like a banking term. In fact, some translations use the word, word reckon. The, uh, the literal Greek word is deem it. You know when we use the word deem it? When you are inviting somebody to a wedding or a party, you say, we deem it our joy to have your presence. Now, that kind of a word is used by this uh, author. James is saying, count it all joy and when... My brothers, when you meet trials of various counts. In fact, in these three verses, he addresses the first issue. Or rather, he puts forth very bluntly, but very clearly, without any ambiguity, how a Christian should look at suffering. And how a Christian must respond in suffering. And how a Christian must live in suffering. 
So God has not left anyone of us, any one of us in the lurch. Most people look at suffering, particularly when they look at Christians, they think, okay, this is the Achilles heel for Christians because they can't answer. How can a good God, always all-powerful God, allow suffering? And most of the times, we, we, we even we limp as if we don't have answers. We aren't given answers. The first one God wants us to know is this. The reckoning in our trials, which means the counting. How should we view trials? How should a Christian look at suffering, tribulation or persecution? How should he look at? Can you answer looking at that verse please for me? With joy. In fact, the word used there is some version say pure joy. You know what the word picture is? It's like a little girl going out into the fields, kind of spreading a skirt like this and twirling with joy. What James is saying is, this is undigestible and also unthinkable, but this is what God wants you to do. When you see troubles coming your way, you be like that little girl going into the fields out there, opening your skirt like this and looking up at the heavens and twirling with joy. Unreasonable. Really unreasonable. Now, by the way, he is not by any means advocating that it will be like that. He's saying you count it. And by the way, this is the first imperative. This is the first command. He's not suggesting an idea, opinion here. He's saying it's a command. Like do not commit adultery. Hello? Yeah? It's like that. Count it joy. All joy. Pure joy. How can somebody reckon or count such a thing when you are faced with trials? And young people, let me tell you, you don't know what troubles are unless you have children. I'm not talking about marriage. You know, you know nothing about troubles until you have children because, let's not get there, let's get back to the scripture. <laughs> count it all pure joy, my brothers, when you are faced with various trials. Let's just pause here. And as I said, we are going to think through these words. Now, what James is writing here is this. It will not be joyful. But you are called and commanded to count it. Joy. Now, what is our natural response when you go through suffering? Any kind of trials, any kind of troubles. What are our natural responses? Can I hear a few responses from you, please? Sorry? Unhappy? Depression, panic, none of you are getting to, you become self, you have self-pity, you grumble, in your mind at least you begin to complain about God. Oh yes, in fact that is the natural way to respond. But Sunday when you come to church, you have this praise the Lord syndrome thrown around you and you get into this worship mode. My friends listen, listen, I believe especially I've learned this after marriage through my wife, that God really loves an honest person. And I say this because I have learned to literally pray through the Psalms. And as I learned it from my wife, to be honest with God. Do you know out of 150 Psalms, 60% of the Psalms are lamentations. Some of them are really complaints. If, if you don't know the context, if you are reading the page from any other book in the world, you would think this is the cry of an atheist. Why do you hide your face, O God, when I'm suffering? Come on, wake up. Who speaks like that today? 
That is being dishonest. So when I read this, I said, God, this is impossible. I can't. How can you expect me to count it all joy when I am suffering? When there is pain? When there are questions in my heart? When my mind is troubled? I don't want to just get into this easy believism. And that's not believism. That is not faith at all. So you must ask these hard questions. And God loves to answer. Although most of the times in the form of questions, but he loves to answer. Count it all joy. What is our natural response when we go through suffering? Agony, anger, anguish, questioning, complaint, grumbling. And if you are a young person, you will write on the Facebook wall saying there is no God. Really? How can somebody count it all joy, pure joy, when he is faced with various kinds of trials? But mind you, this is the first thing I believe the Spirit of God intends us to know as a church this morning. God is interested in your feelings. Joy is an emotion. The word joy, it's not a, it's, it doesn't belong to the cerebral vocabulary. It, it, it's not about the mind. It's a gut feeling. It's about your emotions. God cares about your emotions. The reason why most people are wonky in their walk with the Lord is because they are wonky with themselves. Listen, you are a multidimensional being created in the image of God. You are relational, emotional, volitional and therefore you need to grow in all these areas. If you don't grow, your understanding of God will be wonky, your understanding of your own self will be wonky and that is the spectrum through which you will look at everybody else and you will be constantly finding faults with everyone else. You and I have emotions. You and I have feelings. And God cares about your feelings. God really cares about your feelings. And that is why this has been placed first. If I were writing this, I would put it in the reverse order. But God knows that nothing, listen to this very carefully, nothing can carry you away like your emotions. Especially when you are hit with suffering. And when something serious happens to you. When, when, when something that really matters to you is lost. When it is hit. More than your questions, it is your heart that will begin to take questions. It'll, it is your heart, sorry, that will begin to take uh, decisions. You are moved by your emotions. And God knows and God says, remember, you and I can count it all joy when we go through various trials. How can we? That will be answered later. But know this one thing, uh, God cares about your feelings. And most people do not love God with all their heart. Because... They only want to give God good emotions. They don't want to go give God their bad emotions. Give it to Him. For He is the Lord of it all. God cares. Count it all pure joy. Hmm. Now obviously He is writing to believers, right? Therefore He says, my brothers. Count it all joy, my brothers. But the question then is, how can we count it all joy? So for me, the literal scenario was this. How can I place my hand on the burner? Particularly when it is high and still smile. It contradicts my reasoning. Most Christians at this time, when they read a scripture like this, they will say, God gave me so much. Can't I do this much for God? No, you are not supposed to. For in that way, he will not get the glory. Behind every self Pity kind of thinking. There is a craving for glory. It is not seen evidently. But it comes that way. For no man shall get the glory. For he alone shall get the glory. 
And then here, the question for me was, how can I put my hand on the burner and smile? And count it pure joy. In fact, most some commentators actually say, some preachers actually say, James is almost writing a commentary on Matthew chapter 5 to 7. You almost feel that the primary teacher here is Jesus Christ. Whereas James is the man who is just giving the footnotes. You remember in Matthew chapter 5 we were told uh, the, the Lord begins to teach to the disciples and the Beatitudes come. One of the Beatitudes is what? Rejoice and be exceedingly happy or joyful when you are persecuted. Question is, how come Jesus? How can I do that? It doesn't go with reasoning. You made me a person who thinks. It doesn't go. And then he adds by saying, rejoice because great is your reward in So every time you suffer, know for sure that there is a reward. And it is the reward in the future that empowers you with joy in the present. When you lose focus of the reward, you lose focus. Or rather, you are going to depend on your own self. Are you with me so far this morning? Are we going together? Hello? So number one, the reckoning in our trials. So the question, how can I count it all pure joy? We shall answer that, but let's go to the next part of the scripture there. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The second truth that God wants us to know, one is the reckoning in our trials. What should we reckon? Pure joy. The second thing, the radius of our trials. The radius. Or to put it in another words, the scope of our trials. How big are these troubles going to be? How long are these troubles going to be? What is the kind of intensity these troubles will have? What kind of troubles will come my way? And the answer is given there. When you meet trials of various kinds. We will get to the various kinds part. But let me just uh, give you the Greek reading of this same verse. It, It actually reads like this. When ye should be about falling various trials. The word should be again is in an imperative mode. Which means it will come. It is not an option. Most Christians I believe have never received the complete gospel. The complete gospel is not Jesus forgiving your sins. The complete gospel is Jesus has forgiven your sins for one purpose. That is to make you like him. And the process of making you like him is a process of every day dying to yourself and living to him. And here in the second part of the scripture, we are told the scope, the radius of our trials. What At what length these trials are going to come our way. But even before we go there, he writes it in an imperative form again. You should be. Let me ask you a question now. How many of you have troubles in your life? Oh, not many. Half of you should go to heaven actually. I don't know why you are here. Maybe you are actually adding troubles to somebody else's life. (laughs) If I ask you how many of you have really success stories, not many hands will go up. But if I were to ask you how many of you have trials, I believe 100 out of 100 hands should go up. Why? Because if you are a believer, this is how it should be. It's not an option. It should be. Now, why am I emphasizing on this? Please listen. If you are like me, sitting in the audience with self-pity, with struggling, with grumbling, God wants you to know that this is not a surprise. This is the norm. Hallelujah. This is the norm. This is what you signed up for. This is what the, this is the path of the master. No wonder the poet said, 
Shall I tread another path? If this is what my master walked upon. This is the path my master walked upon. This is what you and I are walking upon. Because this is the only way. The way that Jesus took. It should be coming your way. And if you don't have enough troubles in life, of course some of us have the habit of exaggerating our troubles. Right? We look at everything to trouble only. If it rains, we are unhappy. If it is sunny, we are unhappy. But if you have no enough problems in your life, can I give you the truth in advance? Your package is on the way. You are not exempt. Your package is on the way. Please tune your minds to the truth. I live, uh, uh, Long ago I heard this from Dr. Ravi Zakras. He said, you know, truth should not become relevant to us. We should become relevant to the truth. You gear up yourself, you pull yourselves up to the truth. And the truth is, troubles should be coming your way. Have you ever gotten to a bus and when the conductor came to you to ask you uh, to buy the ticket, were you surprised? Huh? Unless you got into a bus that's hijacked. <laughs> you are not, because that's the norm, right? You got into this bus of salvation, don't be surprised. In fact, Peter writes, Paul writes, both of them say almost the same thing. What? Don't be surprised. And the word that he uses is when you go through fury trials. So number two, the radius of our trials. The radius is this. This should be coming our way. But what kind of trials come? Look at the word there. Various trials. Various trials. Which means two things. Variety of trials. All kinds of trials. Unpleasant, right? But both are bound to come. Variety of troubles. And maybe all kinds of troubles too. Trials too that come your way. Now each one has his own set of troubles. Why should I know about this? Each one has his own set of troubles. Because most of us, this is how we view. Cyril Nehemiah is having a ball of a time. I will be sitting here and I will be thinking, Shravan is having a ball of a time. I am a fool to think like that. Each man has his own set of troubles and no man knows the sorrow of his heart except the Lord. Abraham was a millionaire. He was the sheikh of Dubai. But can I tell you, nobody knows the heart of a childless parent at that age. Nobody will understand. Abraham will give everything to have one son. Or a daughter. You You understand the truth? Probably Eliezer could be sitting there and thinking, this man, what does he know? That is how believers look at life. Have you ever noticed this? This happens with me. I don't know if it happened with you. Have you ever noticed? We only compare with people who are above us and never below us. We never say, wow, how blessed I am. Very seldom. And by mistake, if the thought comes, we quickly rush away and compare with people who are above us. Each man has his own set of troubles. And what God has given you is the best. Is the best. You can never exchange that for anything and live a happy life here or there also. It's the best. It's the best. For Abraham, it is childlessness. For Joseph, it is hatred in the family. Joseph would have wished there were less children in the family. You see? Each man has his own set of troubles. Own set of trials, hatred and envy and jealousy in his own family. For Moses, 40 years, 
40 years is a long time. And I hear sometimes young people say, I'm already 26, 27, 28. Some, some of them are like, I'm not, uh, I don't have a job yet. Once you get a job, I'm not married yet. Once you have a, once you are married, no children yet. Once you have children, he's not rolling over yet. Once he's rolling over, he's not walking. Once he's walking, and then you say, he's not eating. Once he's eating, he's eating everything. You understand that? Now I hope I'm not becoming a stand-up comedian here this morning. But I want you to see, I want you to see this. Each one has his own set of troubles. And me and my wife, by God's grace, learned this. When somebody is blessed, we say, God is good to, Psalm 145, God is good to all he has made. And when somebody doesn't have, how gracious has the Lord been to us. Every man has his own set of trials. Various trials. Different trials. So, stop. First of all, stop getting into this attitude of looking at another person saying, that is a better life. No. You are judging your maker. He has ordained not only your life, but also your problems. For only your problems can bring you into the purposes for which he has made you and ordained your life. David. David didn't have these problems, but he was constantly pursued by his own father-in-law for his dear life. A little more about suffering. In this fallen world, troubles and suffering are common. Right? So I think we should stop praying. I, I, I don't know sometimes, and I say this with, the, with, with, with great respect to those who share prayer requests. Why is it that you want people to pray for every silly thing? The other day, I got a message from somebody saying, pray for a particular thing. I said, I'll pray. After a while, pray because I'm going on a journey. I don't want to pray. I really don't want to pray. Half of our prayers are because we don't know who God is. And he said, he'll always be with you. If my wife is always with me, if I tell, Winnie be with me, Winnie be with me, something is wrong. Either I'm insane or something is wrong with our relationship. And here... In the fallen world, troubles, suffering are common. Don't ask God to remove every suffering. No, don't pray for every problem to be removed. For in that way, you will never grow strong. Look at this verses, Job 14 verse 1. Can you flash that please across the screen? Look at this. Man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. This is coming from experience. Full of trouble. In fact, the other day we had a seminar for preachers. Uh, the man who came to teach us made an amazing uh, statement. He said, the New Testament teaches us to be content with what? If you have food and anything above that is luxury. Who is sitting naked here? Who missed their breakfast here? Nobody, right? Man that is born of woman is food is full of suffering. Job 5.7 Suffering is so common, see what the scripture says. Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. In the fire, sparks go upward, right? As natural as it is for a natural phenomena, suffering is natural for man. Why should I take the pains to explain this one thing? Because we are detuned from the truth. The truth is, suffering is common in the natural fallen world. That is the way to live life. 
However, for a believer, listen to this, it is intensified. Okay? We have gotten to the gospel the wrong way. We think it will be over. No! That is when the picture begins. The movie begins then. It's not the end. It's the beginning. You are coming to the real show then. So, smile. It's your birthday again. You are starting on a new journey. Various trials. And what does the scripture say? Look at these verses. Just the plain reading of these verses will give you faith this morning. Look at this. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12. Indeed, all, can we read it please? Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. So, if you are set out on a path of living a godly life, persecution is bound to come. This is not trial. This is persecution inflicted from outside. This is not the natural circumstances that are, uh, uh, the epistle of uh, James is intending. This is persecution that comes from outside. Number two, Acts chapter 14 verse 22. Now what is the context of Acts chapter 14? Paul and Bernabas were beaten black and blue. Right? They move from that place, they are going to Debrin, Derbina. Now after going there, this is what they are doing. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Wait a minute. What happened to Paul and Bernabas? They were beaten. What are they doing here? Strengthening the it's like the patient helping the doctor. It's like Joseph in the prison going around asking people, why are you unhappy? What do prisoners do? What do they do? They are unhappy. Good grief, they are unhappy. But you see, Joseph was in the prison, never a prisoner. That's the difference. Inside, never a prisoner. This man was beaten and nothing would hit the inner man. For the life I live now, Galatians 2.20, I live by faith in the Son of God. That doesn't mean pain is unreal. They are immune to pain. They have pain. But strengthening the disciples comes when the mind is equipped by the power of the truth that comes from the character of God which is revealed in the word of God. And they, because they knew this, they went around strengthening the disciples. And what did they say? The souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And saying, can we read that part please? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations. Now, I want to just say this as a way of commenting on this verse. For some, our entire life is a progression of suffering from one thing to another, from, from suffering in one thing to another thing. For some, they come in packages. It is up to him. It is up to his sovereign will and heart to decide how he sends the packages our way. But everybody will go through various tribulations. That is what we need to understand. And that is why uh, the um, preacher says in Ecclesiastes, don't ever look back and say, why were the old days good? That's not for us. When you are good, enjoy. When you are going through suffering, be equipped with the truth. Look at the next verse, John chapter 16 verse 33 from the lips of our Lord. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We looked at several verses to understand the second truth. One is the reckoning in our trials. What should I reckon when I go through trials? Count it pure joy. Second thing, the radius of my trials. What kind of trials will come? By, by the way, will trials come? They should be coming. 
That's the imperative there. Number two, what kind of trials will come? Various trials. For every person, it is unique. So number one, you get back to your position and understand that you are not called to judge others or not called to pass a judgment on your maker saying that life is better than this life because he has ordained the troubles. Number three, understand that you will be going through trials either throughout your life or at different segments. They are bound to come. We looked at two two truths so far. The reckoning in our trials, the radius of our trials. We haven't yet answered the question. The question is, how can I count it all joy when I go through suffering? You remember my uh, uh, little illustration? How can I put my hand on the burner and still smile away? It's not possible. Natural reflex is to be repulsive. You know, kick back, come back and say, no, I can't do this. And to cry and to whine and to be angry. And also to complain and to question the character of God. So the answer is given here. The third truth, the reasoning in our trials. This is the divine reasoning. If I were to put it in contemporary words, this is God's game plan. This is what God has designed trials to be for in a believer's life. Look at that word. For uh, uh, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you go through various trials. For Can we read that part please, James 3? For you know that the testing of your faith. We will stop right there. For you know that the testing of your faith. The third word I want you to see. James is assuming that the believers who are growing ought to have known this truth. And what is the truth? You know. You should be knowing. Or you ought to be knowing. And what is that? You know that the testing of your faith. Wait a minute. In verse 3 he said trials. In verse, in the next verse he replaces the word trials with what? Louder. Testing of your faith. It's a matter of perspective. It is really a matter of perspective. Where do you see suffering from? Whose vantage point do you take? You remember in Luke chapter 13, you don't have to go there. Please don't go there. Luke 13, a set of people come to Jesus. And they bring this university question. What is that? His people died or killed by Pilate? What do you say? It's like this. If there's a good God, why is there evil in the world? Why is there suffering in the world? Jesus, at the surface level, feels like a very insensitive apologist. He moves them away from that question. And he says, you think you are a better person than them. If you don't repent of your sins, you also will perish likewise. For a man, the answer is, if there is a good God, why is there suffering in this world? For God, because I am good, I don't want you to go to hell. You see? So which vantage point do we take? Which vantage point do we take? May I say this to you this morning? In all... My little journey of walk with the Lord from the day I was born again, from the time I was born again, nothing has helped me grow in God more than the truth about God, more than the truth that God wants me to have about suffering. God, you know what God intends during your, te- during your suffering time? It is God's project. God is working on you. And that's why he replaces the word trials with the testing of your faith. Now, just for clarification, some of us might think, you know, most of us come from, um, uh, most of us are uh, Indians and most of us are from the south, right here. So, I don't know if you have noticed this. In our old movies, 
like vernacular movies telugu malayalam i don't know if it malayalam and uh, tamil but most telugu movies when an important character in the movie dies not the hero heroine but somebody next to them somebody walks into the house they're all mourning the burial is over the funeral is over and then uh, somebody comes to basically console the family and then he, one of the one of the uh, you know artists uh, is bound to say this uh, dialogue and the dialogue is what can we do when the fate has decided to do this do you know that for a person coming from that background fate is about god not so here it is not fate running the universe it is god and therefore god wants us to know his reasoning when you go through suffering and why knowledge why knowledge listen to this very carefully why knowledge because if there is ever a time where your mind is under attack by your own old man by the value system of the world and by satan if there is ever a time your mind is under attack it is when you are hit it is when you go through suffering you will go blank and you will go off balance but it is at that time god wants you to put your thinking caps on it is at that time god wants you to bring out the resources which he has already deposited in your mind and your spirit it is at that time that is not the time to sit and wallow in self pity like i do most of the times that is the time to stand up and brace yourself like a man and worship him in joy because he has already told you what he is about to do what is he about to do testing of your faith here the word testing is not like god wants to test you to see somehow whether you will pass or fail no that's not the kind of testing here god knows what the outcome is so the testing here is more of pruning the testing here is more with the intended he already knows what the goal is it's not about deciding how many marks you will get it's about taking you to that mark did you get the difference it is not about see, because god knows right he already knows it's not about that it's about uh, taking you to a mark that he has decided and at the end may we all say like job nobody can thought your purposes nobody nobody can thought your purposes that's why you know uh, even martin luther said even the devil is god's devil even the devil is god's devil so let us now get into this text and look at this for you know now you, let's just track back with me a little when we looked at the first point we said count it all joy and i said joy is our i'm not saying it it doesn't come from our mind but but it has to do with our heart it is an emotion it is a feeling it is something that we express in various forms it is to do with our gut and we said that god is interested in our feelings right but listen to this this feeling part cannot move forward or rather should not move ahead of the thinking part when it goes in the reverse order we are in danger because what is seen is not your thoughts your feelings it is seen in your facial expressions it is seen in your gestures it is seen in your standing position also it is seen in every possible form your emotions but what must control your feeling is your thinking because counted pure joy will only come when you know when your mind is strong and i believe for that reason heart is here and not here and head is here and not here for if the enemy has to attack he must tackle with the mind first getting it deception in the mind disbelief in the heart disobedience in the will that's the order in which he moves he cannot make you disobey god 
He cannot control your will. He cannot, you know, propel your emotions to move towards sin. If he cannot attack and somehow take away your mind. And I'm sure most of you must have remembered the title of the sermon the pastor preached here. Whoever has your head has your body too. And that's the way Satan moves. For he knows that we are created in God's image. And God wants us to be thinking Christians. Not just feeling Christians. But our feelings are the ones many times that take the driver's seat. But what should take the driver's seat? It is the thoughts. It is the thoughts. And therefore here we are told what to know. What to think. What is it that God wants you to think? This is what God wants you to think. That when you go through suffering, God wants you to have the knowledge that the suffering that God has brought into your life or ordained in your life is basically a project that God is working on. It is the testing of your faith. By the way, I forgot to give you a verse here. Not every suffering is from the Lord. Look at this verse, Proverbs chapter 19 verse 3. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, what does his heart do? You should never be in this position. A lot of times we bring ourselves to folly. Don't rage against God's heart. And I believe for today's Christians, most of our suffering is because of this. Most of us meet with a lot of accidents because we don't like reading the driver's manual. We don't like. Really. So, what should be the reasoning when we go through suffering? God is testing your faith. That should be my knowledge. And I should not give this knowledge to anyone. You remember the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the? That everybody knows. The second part says, the understanding of the Holy One is? Ah, Sorry, thank you. The knowledge of the Holy One is? It is the knowledge of God that gives you understanding. Listen to this. People can have a lot of information and not have understanding. Let me use an illustration that I heard uh, being used by one of the RGM staff. Let us say, if my wife baked a cake for me on my birthday, and if I called a, 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 a chef, and I called a scientist, and I asked them to explain what it is, they will define it in their own terms. A scientist will probably say, this has come out because of some chemical reactions, because you put some uh, concoctions together. A chef will say, this has come out because so much of soda went in, so much of this went in, so much of flour went in, so much of vanilla went in, and all of that. They have information. They have knowledge. But you know why that cake was made? Because she loves me. And that's my birthday. You see, that is understanding. This is information. The world has a lot of information and knowledge. But the understanding comes from the Lord. Otherwise, why would Jesus make such an exaggerated statement? What did he say? If a man gains the whole world and... What Jesus is saying is this. You can with your information and knowledge that I have given you, gain the whole world. But if you basically die without salvation, you have missed the bus. And you are a fool. You are a intellectual fool. And here, God doesn't want you and me. And I say this with the authority of the scripture. It doesn't matter what your suffering is right now. Unless it has come because of your own foolishness. You can rest in the assurance that if you are a child of God, if the spirit of God lives in you, this is what God wants you to know. Then then God wants you to know that he is basically working on your faith path. 
never miss the truth. It is this truth that has constantly brought me back to my standing position and not give an open door for the enemy to come. Though many times I have opened, it is this truth that has made me shut the doors of my heart and shut the doors of my mind. Because I know in my suffering, it is my God, my Father, who is working on my faith. He is testing my faith. Are we together? Look at this. Why is knowledge so important? Why is knowledge so important? Because knowledge will dictate where your will and your emotions should go. And do we have a proof for this? Yes. I'm going to show you a couple of scriptures now. But I want you to see this. The difference between a man who has already known what God does and a person who does not know what God does through suffering and how they respond. Go to Job chapter 1 verse 20 to 22. Then Job arose. Now this was after he lost all his real estate. All the tell children die in one day. This you, you saw, watch that movie. Slumdog Millionaire. This guy is a millionaire turned into a slumdog. One day lost everything. Built 10 symmetries. One day. This is what he says. He tore his robe. Shaved his head. Fell on the ground. Till then it is the reality of suffering. But then after that it says, and worshipped. That is the unchanging truth that comes from the knowledge of God that his mind has been already filled with about God's character. He worshipped. And let us continue reading. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked shall I return. See, this is not something that is coming out on the spur of the moment. He has already known this. So when the right time came, his trump card came out. Naked I came. Naked shall I go. This has always been the way of his life. Because we are told in Job chapter 1, the introduction given by the Lord himself. Now evil was in him. So this was the way that man always lived. The Lord gave and the Lord has. This also he has already known. So at the right time, you see what is happening? You see what is happening? He's pulling out from his mind, from his resources, from the mind that God has given him to store up about the knowledge about concerning the Holy One. He's pulling out, he's pulling out, he's pulling out. And then what happens? The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now this is the postscript. This is the comment of God. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. What is the beauty about the book of Job is this. He questions God's in anger and in pain, but there is no sin. You read that verse. You must have read that, right? Be angry and... Why, why that couplet like that? Why can't the Bible say, be angry and don't shout? That's even more difficult, I think. <laughs> why be angry and don't shout? Because every time we are angry, usually our anger leads us to sin. But why is anger given by God? Man's anger does not accomplish the... So anger is given to accomplish what? Ours is unrighteous anger. Therefore, it always moves in unrighteousness. This man was angry to whatever he has known. He is angry. But he quizzed, he questioned God. He put all his questions before God. But in all of this, he did not sin. He did not charge God with wrong. You see what is happening? A man, a person who knows that when he goes through the fear, and I am telling you, uh, none of us have gone through suffering like Job did, right? Hello? Yes, right? Let us compare ourselves with Job. Because James himself says in one of the chapters, in in chapter 3 or 4, we all are encouraged by the way Job lived. And let's look at Job's wife. Job chapter 2 verse 9 and 10. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Emotion. 
It is her feeling that is driving her mind. It should be in the reverse order. It should be the mind that should pull her emotions. See, every day morning, even if you are committed to your wife, every day morning, you will not feel like loving. But we don't live by feelings. Feelings must follow us. We live also by the will and the mind that God has given us. Every day morning, I think pastor was saying this, right? In, in You know, God doesn't say, I like you. He says what? Yeah. And here, this lady is swayed away by her emotions. Why? Because she's been hit. Just like Job was hit. Ten children died. Everything was gone. And probably, maybe, if she's truly committed to her husband, in the sense, if she's, they have a good bond, she's also looking at the ugly sores that broke out on his body. He's in incredible pain. She says, why do you hold on to your integrity? Curse God and, look at that, curse God and, Dr. Ravi Zacharias, many years ago when I heard a sermon, he said, this is a funny statement. If there is no God, who are you cursing? If there is God, can you curse God, die and see his face? Sometimes believers are like that. And for a believer, to sin is the greatest struggle. When an unbeliever sins, there is no struggle. Especially if you are a growing believer, to sin you really have to struggle. You will never enjoy sin. Why? Because you know the reality of God. Through your own personal experience of salvation. But somehow when you are hit with this reality, you want to respond differently. Let's read this. But he said to her, you speak as one of the... Listen, listen. Foolishness comes when your mind is not filled with the knowledge of the Holy One. You speak. It is not a a, a husband uh, uh, cursing his wife. It is a man telling his wife about how inadequate her knowledge of the Holy One is. You speak like a foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this again, Job did not sin with his lips. That is not to negate the fact or diminish the fact that he had questions. He had questions. He had questions. God loves our questions. God loves when I am angry and go to him and storm his throne room and say, this is how I understand. I think most of us, like me, try to imagine themselves better than who they are actually. And therefore, we think we are better equipped. No, we are not better equipped. When the, they say, right, when the, when the rubber meets the road, <laughs> that's when you know. When you go through suffering, you actually know who you are. Everything else is basically a prop. Stephen Sharnak, an old Puritan said, knowledge in the head is like money in the purse. But when it affects the heart, it is money that is being used. So, when you are going through various trials, if it is not because of your foolishness, be rest assured, it is ordained by the hand of your maker and your savior and your husband and your father. That's number one truth. Number two, remember this, every trial, if we take the this scripture, every trial, every trial, is basically God's project work. 
I must not miss that truth. Because Proverbs 5.21 says that God tests every man's way. He tests. Of course, some tests are very evident. Abraham, take your son. Evident. Right? But let's turn to one scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2 to 3. Deuteronomy 2, uh, 8, 2 to 3. And you shall remember, you remember this is the uh, law being reiterated to the second generation. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? That he might humble you. And then what? Test you. Why? Exactly. So why does the Lord test? The right reading of it is, yeah, not for him to see, but for to show you. Adam, where are you? It's not like God lost his GPS. No. Adam, where are you? Where exactly are you, Adam? Do you know that? Who told you to eat that fruit, Adam? Do you know that? Every question, my God, was forcing man to think. Let me just, uh, uh, this uh, I haven't put in, I haven't given. Can you just go to Exodus chapter 14, please? Uh, can any one of you help me find this verse uh, where uh, they are about to go, uh, they want to go this way but God takes them the other way. God takes them all around, right? Exodus 14, just want to show you that one verse. Okay, I'm very sorry. Chapter 13, verse 17. I'm just borrowing this from my wife, so just pay attention here. When Pharaoh let the people go, God God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Why? The reason is given there. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. You see God's reasoning there, right? Verse 18. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And look at this. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt. From their end, they thought they were equipped for battle. Only God knows. Only God knows their stamina. Only God knows their faith level. You and I think I'm ready. Let me take this head on. Yeah, right. Yes, God is like our father. He is our father. We do that, right? Children sometimes think they can take some things head on. And they can actually gear themselves up for that. But we know their level. So we take them another way. So various trials that should be coming our way, but the name is not suffering. The name is God working. That's the name. Change your vocabulary. And your vocabulary changes when your reasoning changes. Your reasoning changes when the truth inside is changed. Let's go back to our text please now. So we looked at three truths so far. Number one, the reckoning in our trials. Counting it all joy. Number two, the radius. Various trials should be coming. Each one has his own set of trials. Third one, 
How can I count it all my joy? Because the reasoning is, God is working on me. However, that hasn't fully answered. How can I count it still my joy? The question has not been answered. It shall be answered. Look at this. Look at First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. In this you rejoice, that though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, can we read from there please? More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Pause for a minute. How many of you have gold on you right now? This is gold. This has been tested through fire. Unfortunately, this is a perishable item. But my faith is not. Let me give you a clarification. Now here faith is not what we think faith is. The pistios, the word there is the faith that has come because of the faithful one. That faith that has been given to you when you are born again because you are born again basically by faith alone, by grace alone, right? This is not the faith that God can do things. This is the faith that has given you birth into a new life. That shall never perish. That is imperishable. And God is trying to take that which is most worthy in our sight, gold. That which is more pure in our sight, gold. That which we think can outlast our lifetime and we can give it to our descendants. God says, that which you think is the constant is perishable. Compared to that which you don't even consider, which is faith given to you through my spirit's work, the day you are born again in my son, that faith is more to be tested and that is what I am working on. Why? Because when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, that shall be the glory and the honor and the praise. Let's continue reading, see what he says. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Why are we rejoicing with joy that is uh, filled and inexpressible and all that? The answer is given there, verse 9. Obtaining, can we read that part please? Obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of your souls. Faith is the tip of the iceberg. It is not the end of everything. It is meant to take us in a particular direction. The end of faith is what? The salvation of my soul. Ultimately, the glorification part. The day when I meet him, I shall be like him. And when I meet him, when I shall be like him, though today I very reluctantly say this, that day I will say, it is worth it all. Today I can't say that. It's paining. It is hurting. How much do I pray and answers do not come? How long will God keep me in this? Although I know this, it is difficult. Like Job, I may not sin, but I will still question God. But not the day. Why? That day I must say, it is worth it all. Jesus is worth more than all the suffering in the world. For that is what I shall say. That privilege has only been granted to a believer, a child of God. In a world that is filled with sin, a world that is inflicting more and more suffering and evil, church can rise up and say, one day we will, we will say it is worth it all. While today we count it all pure joy because we know that every trial God is working on us is basically trying to transform our faith. For the, the end of the faith is what? The salvation of my soul. Let's move to the fourth one. Two more to go. Fourth one. Let's go back to James chapter 1 verse 3 to 5. 
Count it all pure joy, my brothers. When you go through various trials, for the testing of your faith. So what is God's reasoning? God is testing my faith. Not anything else, my faith. That which has brought about this new work of God in my life, new creation, salvation, that is what God is refining. That is what God is refining. Fourth one, the results of trials. So far, half of my question is answered. And the question is, how can I count it all pure joy? How can I smile when I put a hand on the burner? I can because I know that the game plan is bigger than what I see now. God is working on my faith so that my salvation may be complete. My joy, my, my joy in Christ may be expanded limitlessly, boundlessly. However, today I don't see that reward. I still have to wait and I don't know how long the church age is. I don't know when he will come. I still have to wait. So, do I constantly live in this future hope? Do I have nothing now to hang on to? Do I just live like this, you know, sky in the pie by and by? Do I continue to count on the future reward? There's nothing for me now. The answer is given here. And this completes the question that we raised. The results of trials. What does God produce? Produces steadfastness. We all understand the word produce, right? It, it is a biological word. It's a word that belongs to nature. It's not a, an automatic word. It is not a, it's not a word that falls into the uh, machine vocabulary, right? We see everyday production. Every day we see plants grow, children grow, we all grow. And God is saying, the testing of your faith will produce something. So what God is trying to do is working on our reasoning to help us understand it in the right way. And to help us understand it in the right way, he goes to great pains to work with us. Remember this verse. Commit this verse to your memory. Nahum chapter 1 verse 3. Commit this to your memory. What does it say? The Lord is great in power, slow to anger. It is an impossible combination. There is nobody who can be great in power, slow to anger. If I am great in power and if there is some foolish and funny and silly guy working in my company, I will kick him out right now. Get another one. Great in power. I can do anything I want. But slow to anger. And that is why, that is why he is so slow with us. I understand this more and more as I see my own son. His mind is not on my business. His mind is filled on his own things. How much I want him to grow. How little he's interested in growth. How much I want him to move towards progression. How little he wants to be interested in those things. And are you understanding? And I have to constantly pull him. And I told you right, he acts like a cliffhanger going to the edge of the bed. Trying to look down to see whether gravity works or not. What do we tell him? You know what I do? Spank him. He doesn't do that. Because if he were to spank, if he were to spank, and that's why the scripture says, do not be stiff-necked. You know what happens if you are stiff-necked? If God has to, if the hand of the omnipotence has to bend you, (laughs) please. Great in power, slow to anger. That is why that patience of the Lord Brings us back to repentance. So what is God producing in us? Look at this. God produces 
louder please steadfastness there are several renderings of this in different versions different words are used patience is used perseverance is used endurance is used all of them this is this entire book is like a mine okay you will be discovering nuggets after nuggets gold and diamonds and here there are different dimensions of this word the light is spread like that so what if if you take the word to be steadfastness it is to be study under trial if you take it to be enduring it is to be still receiving and be resilient in times of suffering but if you take it to be perseverance it is moving ahead in troubles endurance is to stay strong stay put you know you you just lodged there but perseverance is to move ahead and i think those are the stages of a believer first of all we should be used to the fact that suffering is normal in life for a christian it is intensified but the idea is it's not suffering god is testing my faith to produce something that is everlasting and that is in the future but what about the present today he is producing what patience perseverance what is the result of trial what is god's present goal for your suffering or trial according to this verse i want you to say this steadfastness patience the most difficult for me the most unpleasant word in english dictionary is patience really really but if there's one thing that god is slow to there's only thing god is slow to that is anger because he's a patient god and what god is basically trying to do is make you like his son now listen it is not trials that produce perseverance it is god using trials in order to produce if trials can produce perseverance then you don't need god you don't need salvation because in every religion there's a, a little bit of this teaching but the thing is god is working in your suffering to produce a a a, a goal that he has already designed in his mind and that is patience so one day i was asking this question i was heading to teach in a place i was asking this question god why patience why should i be patient and my question was patience as a virtue by itself has no meaning so my question was why should i be patient with my son so my reasoning was you are infinite in power you can carry me i don't have infinite power i can't constantly carry my son or the responsibilities that i have so this was our reasoning as a family i was thinking why should i be patient because patience by itself has no virtue uh, as a, uh, a virtue by itself has no meaning you know why patience go to first corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 you might have guessed it what is it love is patience by itself doesn't have value patience is the attribute of love got it so in every religion you work on patience in christ the fruit of the spirit is love which produces patience it is love that is showing itself forth in patience it is love that is showing itself forth in grace and mercy and kindness it is love that is displayed in diverse manners as per the need so what god is producing in you and me is patience because patience is the attribute of love patience by itself has no meaning at all it is love that is displayed there 
Let's go to Romans chapter 8 verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works. If there's ever a time you have to believe all things, it is when you go through suffering. Because when you are blessed, you will obviously thank the Lord, praise the Lord and you will have a thanksgiving party. But like Job, in your suffering, have a thanksgiving party. Because in all things, which means in that particular thing, God is working. God did not stop working. In fact, it is ever a time I need to know God is working, it is in my suffering. It is when God makes me wait. It is when God denies my prayer. It is when God doesn't answer. It is when God gives exactly the opposite of what I am asking. It is when God sometimes feels like not answering. It is then that I need to know God is working. That is when your mind is tuned off and the devil shoots you with arrows. Arrows, poisonous arrows. To the extent that you will believe that there is no God. But it is then that you need to know God is working. God is working. I told you right. In the midst of this excruciating pain. As the evil of the world is about to fall upon the son. He looks at the father and says. Holy father. What a thing. Holy father. Evil is real. Pain is real. Separation between the triune God is real. But that doesn't in any way change the character of God. Because his mind is filled with the spirit of God. Therefore, he says, Holy Father, Righteous Father. What a, what a God we have. He has walked this path. He's saying, come, let us go together. Why patience? Because God is working in all things. Now, what is God doing in all things? God works for the... That is the second truth you need to believe. God works for the evil. Somebody said, evil is not good. But it is good that evil is there. <laughs> Okay, and I am saying this to believers because for an unbeliever this may not be understood. Evil is not good, but it is good that evil is there. As Augustine said, only God knew better. God judged it better to let good come out of evil than to let evil not exist. God judged it better. Who am I? How much do I know? Very little. Very little. So, in my suffering, God is working. Hallelujah. He didn't leave me. I am in His hands. He is the worker. I am his object of work. But he is working for what? For the? Hello, for the? How many of you watched 2011 World Cup? Shame on you. Are you Indians? How many of you? Oh, Peter has watched 2011 World Cup. India won the. You remember? Who hit the last shot? And what was the last shot like? How many? Now, you remember when you watched the cricket first time, the first wicket to go down was Sevags. It was an LBW. And there was no DRS that time. Malingua was in the air flying like an eagle. And the whole team was celebrating. Sorry? Okay, DRS was rejected. Very good. Sachin was out. Caught behind the wickets. At that time, with each wicket going down, the heart was getting closer to the mouth. Going in and going in and going in and going in. But... Then the last shot was hit. It was a time to celebrate. Let's say you go back home today. You turn the TV on. 2011 World Cup was coming. Sehwag wicket is gone. Will you have the same feeling that you had when it when he was out for the first time? Why not? You know the story. Know the story. Follow the narrative. God is working in your trials for your good. That is how count it all my joy brothers right now will come. Because it's producing patience in me. 
is producing patience in me. You see how important knowledge is. And most Christians, pumped up hearts, empty minds, the devil can snatch it away and go in and out by sending lots of lies. You cannot worship the Lord with all, you cannot love the Lord with all your heart alone. You must love the Lord with all your mind also. And here is the divine rationale presented. He's producing patience in us. And the results are, number one, patience is produced. Let's continue going through that. Through um, uh, uh, produces steadfastness. And go to verse 4, please. Can we read this part, please? And let steadfastness have its full effect. Now, the Greek word for full effect is perfect, tell you all. Which basically is a design towards a particular goal. What James is saying is, what the Spirit of God is saying is this. I am working in your suffering. I have ordained your suffering. I am working in your suffering. It is not suffering. It is the testing of your faith. And because the testing of your faith will produce, the ultimate thing is the salvation of your soul. But the present thing is I am working on your character. Basically, I am working to bring about good. Okay? What he is saying is this. It must finish its perfect work. Uh, I wanted to actually ask Dr. Richard or probably Dr. Bueller or others. Doctors have this strange way of prescribing medicines. You are struggling with, let's say, stomach infection. Your infection can actually be gone or the uh, problem can be solved in with two days medicines. But they'll prescribe it for ten days. Have you noticed? Oh, I don't know if they're interested in our money or in our health. My friend of mine was a doctor. He told me, even if your infection is gone, even if your stomach is set, even if everything is good, continue the medicine. And the answer, to my understanding, can be clarified later, is because there can be more that is hidden. And that needs to be worked upon. A lot of times we disrupt God's work. When God is working on us, He not only designed our problems, He also designed the time through which we must go through the problems. 40 years for Moses. Not a day less. Not a day less. It must be. So allow God to complete his work. Otherwise, if you were like me, like a kid, when I was a kid, I would constantly open the cupboard. We didn't have a fridge. Open the cupboard and open the lid of the, you know, the thing to see if it is already curded or not. Constantly I would disrupt. And the milk would remain like milk only. Don't disrupt God's work. Right? First of all, change your understanding. Let the truth sanctify you. Second thing is, there is an amount of time where God is going to place you there. You must be there. It is up to you, you will be kicking and screaming or you will rejoice or you will grow. Don't just go through the phase. Grow. If you are growing, by the time you come to point B, you are well equipped. Who asked Joseph to change his clothes and shave when Pharaoh gave him a call? Remember that? Exodus for Genesis 40. Pharaoh just gave him a call. I believe somehow. It's not written in the scripture. This is my, my personal belief. It can be absolutely wrong. He somehow knew the time in the prison has come to an end. Because when Pharaoh calls him to interpret the dream, dream, he goes one step ahead and he also gives him a plan of action. Hello. Mind you, it was only to interpret the dream. Who asked him to give the plan of action? Let Pharaoh now find a suitable man. You remember all that? And Pharaoh says, who else? Here is the man in whom the spirit of God is. It was that amount of time that was decided. Before that, he was a little sulking. 
Please refer my name to Pharaoh. Because even now, I did nothing. So they, they still process. God is still working on, his, on him. At the end, what does he say? He doesn't tell his brothers. Well, like, you know, even here, I came through so many troubles. He says, no. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Let patient ha- patience have its perfect work. Did you understand God's game plan? This is the gearbox in which God is going to move us around. If you know this well, I'm not saying things are going to be easy, but you will be a transformed man. You will not sulk, you will not grumble, you will not look your, you will not look at God through the lens of life, you will look at life through the lens of God. And your interpretation is different. What are the results of trials? God is producing patience. Why patience? Because it is the attribute of love. Go back to Romans chapter 8 verse 28 and 29. Why does God produce patience which is the characteristic of love? Because the Bible says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And what is the purpose? This is the purpose. For those God foreknew, he also, can we read that part please? He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If you are a believer, there is a predestination. And the predestination here is not place. It is a person. You are You have to be conformed to the image of his son. If you are a believer, listen up, buckle up, listen. God's single agenda is to make you like Jesus Christ. Everything is a platform. Ministry is a platform, marriage is a platform, having parenting is a platform, a career is a platform. Everything is a platform. The glorious thing that the father rejoices in is the face of his son. And that is what he wants to see in you and me. And there is nothing greater God can give you this side or that side of eternity. It is the likeness of His Son. For the Son is the image of the invisible God. That is what we are predestined to. The sooner you realize this truth, you will look at everything as a platform. If you don't realize this, everything in itself will be an end for you. If you are unmarried, you will cry for marriage. If you are married, you will cry for children. You understand? These are all parables, platforms. These are all streams, paths. The goal is Christ-likeness. Let's quickly brush through these four things. Number one, God wants us to reckon something in our trials. What is that? Joy. Number two, we looked at the radius, the scope of our Trials. Various trials, they should be coming your way. Some of you are already there. Some of you have inflicted on you because of your foolishness. Some of you have exaggerated. If you have exaggerated, you will be really unhappy when the real trouble comes. (laughs) Right? Because you have already given that a name, real trouble, the real trouble will come. But remember this, the reasoning is that is not trial, that is the testing of your faith. And the worker is God, you are his object, he has designed designed and decided how much to let you go through it, how to go through it, what kind of trouble to help you go through and it is basically working on your faith. This is not faith about what God, this is not faith about my understanding of God, this is the faith that has brought me into salvation, which will lead me into the completion of salvation. And the fifth one, fourth one we looked at is the results of trials. God is producing in me patience. Why patience is the attribute of love. What is the attribute of love? Ultimately, what is God trying to make me like? He wants to make me like his son. I think it is important for us to also go to one more verse. Luke chapter 8 verse 15. Luke 8 15. Remember Jesus told us the four kinds of soils. The seed was the same. The soil was different. Uh, 
thorny uh, 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 wayside uh, uh, soil and then thorny soil and then rocky soil look at the the last one as for that in the good soil believers they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart can we read the last part last part please see fruit cannot be born without patience mango flavor can be made in a day not mangoes got it so you are a mango not a flavor flavor is easy to make that's what the world does count of it joy entertainment that is not the mango john piper says the world is aching for joy and they try to see it in movies aching for joy they try to see it in 101 things but he is producing in you the fruit so <laughs> i'm afraid for one thing you can still receive a good good revelation from the word and go back and still be empty headed you must guard your minds how you guard your minds is not by placing a watchman inside the bedroom but at the main gate here here let these things be filled with the word of god ask questions ask real questions don't ask when you listen to great sermons from here let's say pastor james preaches something you will not be able to reason like that he has come there because of god has worked on him many years you ask your kind of questions and see what god will reveal to you the results are patience go to philippians chapter 2 5 to 11 have this what why not heart because in heart jesus says i am humble and gentle here but here this is my mind are you understanding why not heart have this heart in you have this think about it have this mind in you this must control this not the other way around however if these are not filled if the emotions of my life if my emotion part the emotional life is not bred by the mind which must be fed by the word then i am in for a great great trouble let this mind be in you which was in christ jesus what is the mind look at this which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count it did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped wait a minute whenever you go through suffering one of your questions will be why me the other way of putting that question is i don't deserve this the other way of putting that is i think i deserve better the other way of putting that question is i think you are wrong god you are not right why me if there's anybody who can ask that question it is jesus and like edward anderson said anybody who can sing that song it's my life it is god but here being god did not take that opportunity did not grasp it but what did he do he let go lt jayachandran uncle yesterday or two days ago was listening cross is a confusing thing to satan why he made a statement i am yet to fully agree with it he said cross is where god loses control of himself over creation from the time fall came there is struggle for power power struggle we all want to control not to be controlled god there loses control and comes down and therefore it destroys 
man's hunger for power or rather like dr ravi would put it this is the power of his love that has taken over our love for power this is what god did there's anybody who can say i deserve it that's jesus rightfully but he said no i don't want to be here he stepped down and let the steadfastness have its full effect so that what happens three things will happen what happens you will be can we go back to james chapter 1 verse 3 or verse 5 i think verse 4 let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be three things perfect mature or okay complete it says some version say mature or complete and lacking nothing what are these three things number one perfect the word there is teleois which means perfection towards a given end which means god has a goal towards that he is moving number two complete which means whole it in other words in all areas of your life third thing maturity or rather not lacking anything the meaning of that is in nothing you are left behind in every area you are thoroughly being equipped these are the three things god wants to bring about now wait a minute isn't that our desire every day god i want to be mature god i want to lack nothing by the way lacking nothing and the lord is my shepherd i shall not want doesn't mean you'll have everything it is a stage in life where you will know that you don't need everything you see that's what maturity is and here you and i every day want to be mature want to uh, you know lack nothing want to become perfect we all want the product but we don't want to go through the process you tell me which mango which mango ever came from heaven some of you are thinking there's a process right must begin with the tilling of the ground not the seed or the tilling of the ground because if you place a seed on the surface nothing will happen birds will come you see the process but at every stage we can rejoice because every stage there is some kind of fruit we see when the seed becomes a sapling happy you will not rejoice only when the mango comes you are happy at every stage you are rejoicing you are better than yesterday you are pumped up you are more like christ your emotions your mind your thinking your will more like christ every day so these are the three things that will happen when god works on you so the future reward is that i will have the i will obtain the salvation of my soul i shall see him as he is that is the future what's the present reward being made each day into the image of christ that must be how that is how we must define suffering that is how god defines suffering last one last one we'll close with this the resources in our trials the resources in our trials most people begin with the resources they go and pray with empty minds in fact martin luther said to have prayed much is to have studied much and i want to say this very humbly i must learn to pray like some of you pray but i also want to say this you must learn to study like some of us study really you can have a heavy head on a lean body and you can have a heavy body and a very lean mind easy for the enemy to attack must be balanced word and prayer are the two legs on on which any christian can stand or fall and somebody asked a pastor which is important praying or reading the word he replied by saying which is important inhaling or exhaling they both go hand in glove 
But when you go to one extreme, you are in danger. Our prayers must be prepared. Let him ask God. This verse has been crucified by men. You know, this is the verse which most pastors use when children from their church come to them for them to pray for their exams. Out of context. Totally out of context. And that fellow never studied at all. Some people say, after they have written the exams, Anna, pray for me. What will I pray for your result? You want God to go and correct all your answers? Mind is not filled with the word. And all our expressions of faith are all sometimes even silly. Your greatest resource is prayer, but not before the word. What a friend we have in Jesus. It's not just about praying. Be filled with the word first. And then your prayer will be right kind of prayer. If anyone lacks wisdom, who doesn't lack wisdom? Let him, what? We have five things here. Number one, ask. Don't assume. Number two, ask God, not Google. Why do I say Google? Because that is one of the resources that is gearing up these days. Don't go to men. I would even say don't even go to your heads. Go to the word. He's the head. Go. Pray. 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 Remember pastor said that day, if any one of you is in trouble, let him pray. You pray. Number one, ask. But ask God. Why God? The answers are given. He is a giver. See that? Let him ask God. The third truth. Ask. Number two, ask whom? God. Why should you ask God? Because he gives. One of the truths that believers don't believe at all is that God is a giver. He gives. What have you that he has not given to you? This is the giver. Number four, this is the the most amazing thing. Gives generously. Generously. Fifth one, his attitude, he doesn't find a fault with you. That time when I told you, why didn't you come? Now I won't give. That's exactly how we treat one another. You didn't come, right? Yeah. Take it, you deserve it. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. But the thing is this, if you haven't studied the word, you will not pray for wisdom. You will pray for strength. You will pray for the problem to be removed. You will pray for the salvation of it. No, God is working on you, on your prayer life. Because the Bible says that we do not know what we, louder, we do not know what we, we know to pray. What ought to be prayed, we don't know. So if you have to know what you should pray, go to the word. Because this is written by the word, by the spirit of God. And he fills your mind and he will teach you what ought to be prayed. And in trouble time, the last thing you should pray for is removing the problem. Ask God, fill me with wisdom. Because God's work is not on the problem, but on you. Ask. But ask God. Because God gives. That is the stand on which you should stand and pray. You are a giver. You remember when David sinned with Bathsheba? He doesn't mention the name of Bathsheba in Psalm 51. He says, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. If we start the prayer, this is how we start. Lord, I never thought I'll sin. I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. David doesn't even talk about himself. He starts by saying, God, because of your character that is merciful, through which you show your unfailing love, please have mercy on me. I don't deserve. I know myself. I know myself so much that Bathsheba's sin is just an evidence that I am born in sin. Got it? The standing ground for prayer is not my need. 
the pain of my need is the character of God. God gives generously to all who ask and without finding reproach. This is your resource in prayer. Prayer is the cart, not the horse. Don't reverse the order. The horse is the word. Don't put the cart before the horse. Are you going through suffering? Rejoice. But not as an insane person. But as a person whose mind is filled with the reasoning of God. That he is working on your eternity and on your present too. Because he is good. And he wants to make you like his son. And that is why he wants you to come to him. And that is your resource. That is prayer. Shall I ask Pastor James to come and pray for us? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Shall we stand? Whenever young preachers come and use the illustration of their one-year-old child as an evidence of God working, I'm, I always think, wait till they are teenagers. <laughs> wait till they are teenagers. Then you will really move to another level of patience, perseverance, because you are totally helpless. The Spider-Man, you can pull him back. <laughs> But when they are teenagers, you realize there is only one God. Only he can help. Let's pray. This thing, thank God. Just let's take a few seconds in our hearts, with our mouths. Just thank God. That he's seen the end from the beginning. He's seen it all. And he has not given up on any one of us. His patient and his long suffering. And in his patience and in his long suffering, he's still kind. To all of us, every moment, every day. That's why we are not consumed. This morning, Father, we just want to come to you. Your servant, through the last Our or two turned our hearts and minds back to you. And when we leave the premises of this place, I pray our hearts and our minds don't wander. Though we may have many issues this week, this new month that is just a day away, we will see life through your eyes. Help us to truly walk by faith. And faith comes from hearing. And hearing from your word. Help us to meditate upon your word. That our thinking is framed by your word. For you have exalted your word above all your name. And your word is forever settled in the heavens. So Lord, let it be settled in our mind. Heaven and earth will pass away. But not a dot from your word. And help us to see everything that is happening and is going to happen. It will all pass away. But not your word. 
So this morning I pray, Father, help us as a church, as individuals, not to turn to the left or to right from your word. Spirit of God, I pray, empower us. We need your power. We need your strength to walk in your word. Another month lies before us, the tenth month. We believe, Father, your word says the government is upon your shoulders. And I believe the tenth month will experience more of your power and more of your government in each one of our lives, O Lord. The establishment of your government in our lives, more in this tenth month than the other nine months that have gone before us. Let it be established, O God, your government, and then, and therefore, your peace in our lives. Bless your children. Meet each one at their point of need. Let them experience God each day, Lord. That you are the beginning and the end of everything in our lives. And through it all, it is you who carry us through. That God does not be a doctrine in our lives. I pray a real living person in our lives. To the youngest, to the oldest, let each one experience you according to their level of faith, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We confess with our lips and we proclaim it. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each other. Amen.